Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Let's welcome Tomas de Leon, who will be bringing us our message, Simplify the Message. Thank you, Lynn, and a wonderful job. Thank you so much. And I want to say that I'm, I'm real happy to have Ernesto and Marisa as my little music team. Thanks a lot for everything you do. It's really changed. It's, it's really a recent thing. Uh, I, who was I talking to? I think Joan, just recently, and she said, you know, the things have changed. Yeah, I said, this is just recently, like four or five months ago, we didn't have them. So it, it's just coming together real nicely. Simplify the message. I should have put man. Simplify the message, man. You know. <laughs> what comes to your mind when I say simplify the message? I'll tell you what comes to mind. My mind. Four words. Man-made religious superstructure. The religious superstructure that was in place at the time of Jesus and the religious superstructure that is in place now. Both made by man. I can further clarify or simplify those four words. Man-made religious Superstructure, down to one, dogma. Now, let me ask you, do you honestly, honestly think that God deals or cares about dogma? I don't think so. And I would cite Jesus as an example when he said, or when he distinguished between the difference of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. To me, he was saying with that statement, forget about dogma. Simplify the message, get down to basics. See, when Jesus was tested by the Pharisees, and they were the kings of dogma, as to what was the greatest commandment of all, and you know, these were all Jews. Jesus is a Jew, all his disciples are Jews, everybody's a Jew, and they followed Jewish law. And in Jewish law, there were some 600, I think 13 laws that they had to follow. And so they were trying to narrow him down and say, which one is the, the greatest? And you know what Jesus said? Let me read it to you. It's in Matthew 22, 37, 40. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I'm probably not the smartest guy you ever met, or maybe I am. Nah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Trust me. <laughs> but I tell you what, I mean, I think I can hear something very, very clear in that, which is just really one message, one word, and that word is love. 600-something laws, and he brought it down to one law, one Commandment, love. Now that tells me if you are approaching life and everything in it from the angle of love, 
then you are a follower of Jesus. You are a Jesuit, as I like to say. Another thought that comes to my mind when I think about simplify the message is the way unity approaches Christianity as opposed to the traditional interpretation. It's much more simple. It doesn't have a superstructure in place. We don't have dogma. Yes, we do have five principles, but that's not dogma. That's more or less uh, a guideline of how we think things are working or manifesting in this universe. We like to say in unity that we are more in line with the simple life of Jesus. And what was that simple life of Jesus really all about? It was about love, it was about healing, and it was about forgiveness. And guess what? It included everybody. Everybody. Now, does what you believe include everybody? It should. He revolted against the superstructure of his time. And I think unity kind of was a revolt against the superstructure of our time. As we get closer to the annual meeting, I wanted to talk about the New Thought history and the history of unity a little bit because we have a lot of new people coming in and maybe you're not aware of some of the history of unity or of New Thought. And so, and I am going to talk about that a little bit, but when I started thinking about the lesson, I started getting into a focus of what is the most basic nature of unity? What is its most basic message? And the, and the, and the term, the title, Simplify the Message, came to my mind. I thought, well, that's a good way to put it. Just what was this American, distinctly American? New Thought Unity is like jazz. It is American. And New Thought is American. But what was this American spiritual movement which took place between the mid-1800s to the late-1800s. What created it, and what was its focus? I have talked about this in the past, but I want to review it again, as I said. It was created, or brought about, manifested, as I guess we would say, by the change of consciousness that was in place at the time. America was ripe with new ideas. America was an experiment in political idealism, and New Thought Unity, when you think about it, is an experiment in religious idealism. The very idea of religious freedom and equality for everyone was a new idea. Our founders came from Victorian England, England which was anything but an equal place. It was a caste system. The New Thought movement took the idea of religious equality a big step further and stated that God existed in all of us, not just in Jesus, in all of us. Now, on top of that, the scientific revolution was still fairly brand new. And from that, we picked up on the concept of spiritual laws. In this ripe mental soil of egalitarianism, ooh, the crowd goes with the big word, <laughs> egalitarianism, which is equality for all, many other new ideas were sprouting, such as the blending of science and religion, the renewed interest in the ancient Eastern philosophies, the transcendental movement, the newly rediscovered 
powered over the mind. And the one that the Unity founders really took to hold, a new look at the message of Jesus, taking into account all these other elements, all these other factors that were in place. In particular, it was a new way of looking at the Bible primarily as allegory, as symbolism of not somebody's journey or some characters in the past, but how it represents our spiritual journey, each one of us. And in that way, it becomes allegory. Now, allegorical interpretation of the Bible was not exactly new. Back, I think, I don't know if it was the first, second century, whatever it was, early on, there was a theologian whose name was Origen. And he took a stab at this, but nothing to the degree that the Fillmores did. The, the, the Fillmores took it really to a very clever level to include Christ, you know, the, the birth of Christ idea, Easter, the Trinity, Adam and Eve, on and on. I think it's very clever, an extremely enlightening way to see things, to say nothing about that it made it personal personal to each one of us. For me, that's the genius of unity. And it takes that Bible, the, our Bible and it makes it personal to each of us. So in summary, the difference between the new thought and the previous way of seeing religion was that it was all-encompassing, bringing in all the factors in play. And it was all-inclusive. I like what Alan Anderson, in that book that I brought in called New Th New Thought, A Practical American Spirituality, he summarizes the whole thing this way. He says, New Thought is what all Christianity could have become if it had been able to avoid the stultifying tendencies it needed to become a religion capable of competing with the other outlooks for the title of official religion of the Roman Empire. It is what all Christianity could have become if it had allowed the freedom of belief, concentrating and following the loving, healing example of Jesus, rather than developing a rigid superstructure of teachings about Jesus. In short, as noted, it was a return to the simple message of Jesus. It was a return to Jesus' simple message that was not about him. I talked about that last time when I talked about the book Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. And we use the analogy of that Zen message that says, talks about the finger pointing at the moon. We, mis we mistook the idea and we started focusing on the finger instead of what the finger is pointing to. Now Jesus referred to the moon, what his finger was pointing to as the father, the father working through me. Remember, by and large, he was talking to simple, uneducated Jewish peasants. And that's not to insult them. That is to make note of Jesus' genius as a master teacher, because as a teacher, you know how to speak to your students at what level, whatever level you need to be at so they understand so in unity, we refer to this idea as divine principle. But for them, maybe that wouldn't have made as much sense. So he used father 
That made sense. It was a patriotic society. It made sense. Of course it did. He talked about, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. And what did he say about the kingdom of heaven? Where is the kingdom of heaven? Is it someplace else? Is it sometime else? Well, not according to Jesus. In, in Luke 17, 21, he says, Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It is in the midst of you. This idea resurfaced once again during the time that unity was being created or born because of the transcendental movement. And most notably, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said the greatest revelation is that God is in every man. That sounds like Luke 17, 21 that I just read. Now, preparing for this lesson, I came across this that kind of says, although New Thought is neither monolithic nor doctrinaire, in general, modern-day adherents of New Thought share some core beliefs. Because New Thought, of course, includes unity, uh, Christian science, divine science, science of mind, all these you know, different, they're all related. It says, number one, God or infinite intelligence is supreme, universal, and everlasting. Two, divinity dwells within each person, that all people are spiritual beings. Three, the highest spiritual principle, loving one another unconditionally and teaching and healing one another. And four, our mental states are carried forward into manifestation and become our experience in daily living. Sounds very much like our five principles. Pretty close to it. Simplifying the message of the New Thought Movement is basically getting away from the old way of seeing things. Interesting, I came across a video this week because we're losing a lot, a lot of young people. Not we, well, we too. <laughs> Everything, religion in general. I think, you know, it's just the age group from 20 to 35 or whatever it is, oh my goodness, they're dropping out like, like a rock from the whole idea. And why? Because it no longer makes sense to them. This old view no longer makes sense to them. And I keep trying to say, well, but there, it doesn't mean you have to abandon the whole idea. It doesn't make that the idea doesn't make sense. It says that the explanation doesn't make sense. That's very different. This idea that we are spirits having a human experience is something that is a different a way of looking at it, and it needs to be made clear. And I was talking to Marisa this morning about that, that we really need to address the younger people. They're the ones who are going to take over all this stuff. So just what is this old way of seeing things, just to review? In case you're not clear, because you know me, I love this stuff. Love it, love it, love it. I started listening to, I've got a lot of great courses, and for whatever reason, I started listening to this again. I have one that's called The History of Christian Theology. 30-something lectures between 30, 45 minutes long, a lot, and it covers a lot of things. And the difference of, of the old way of looking things, fundamentally, is that it starts with a paradigm of separation, what I've talked about. We are separate from God. 
That's number one. And now even science is telling us that's not true. Things are not separate from anything. Everything is connected. The second is that it is based on a goal that is in the future tense. Have you thought about that? Because when you go to church in the old traditional sense, you go there to secure your boarding pass for a future event. It hasn't happened yet. The, the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven has not been established, and you want to get your ticket. So that's why you go to, Sundays, to church on Sundays. That's a very different way of seeing things. But it doesn't sound like that was what Jesus was saying at all. And when I listened to this uh, great course, this came up right away about this different way of seeing things. And the man calls it Pauline eschatology. Now, eschatology is about the end times. It's a big word in theology, but it's about the end times. And the professor notes that it's very odd because we kind of hear it, but we hear it in a mixed way. And thus, conversely, we are kind of mixed up about it. And by we, I mean traditional Christianity. Here's the thing that came to my awareness fairly recently ago, not that long ago. And I thought, really? And that the idea that the soul leaving the body when you die is not something either Paul or Peter believed in at all, at all. That is a Greek idea that came in later, in later Christian theology. This was really strange to me when I heard this for the first time. No soul? Nope. Not according to Paul. Not according to Peter. See, the soul denotes that there is something else eternal living in you that leaves you, something that's transcendent, transcendental. That is not the view that Paul had at all. Paul's view was about the resurrection of the body. I said, wow, that is a completely different idea. And it's all mixed up. And in, in, in that model, Jesus is the first fruit. I just heard it again this morning on the way over here, and I heard it. And he said, he's the first fruit waiting for the others to be resurrected at some future time. Some future time. This is a theology of Christ, traditional Christianity. I found it a little bit shocking, actually, but I should know it. I'm a Catholic. I go to Catholic church. I used to. When I first learned this, I was still going to Catholic church. I would come here to Unity, and from here I would go because I was the director of the youth group at the church. So once I learned these things, I started paying attention to the creed because we recite the creed in Catholic church. And I heard the message in the creed, and I said, wow. So after a while, I got to where, okay, I'm, I, I can't recite the creed anymore because I don't believe that. It doesn't even make any sense to me. But there it is. He said, it says, I await the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's a future event. Now, I'm not even sure that tradition understands this distinction between these two different, very, very radically different ideas. Because I go to funerals, Catholic funerals, still to this day, and I hear either the priest or a deacon say, well, they're in heaven now with Jesus. No, they're not. Not according to your theology, they're not. 
I don't understand. I guess it's just a philosophy major in me. But to me, it's like, learn your theology. Whatever it is, learn it. <laughs> anyway, there's a big difference in unity. We don't see heaven as a future event. We see it as a state of consciousness. And this state of consciousness is ever-present, if it's everlasting, always has been, always will be. It's not in a future. It is right now. And our focus is about right now. The only difference is the state of, as Jesus said, you know what, he said it again, and I found this quote in John. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until your harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He was telling him, it's not in the future. It is right now. And as I've said before, the only difference is, can you see it? Are you in tune with it? Because it's always here. It's eternal. Everything is here. I remember I told you that before, that what the quantum physics is saying. Everything is everywhere all the time. And in unity, we come here to learn how to participate in that now moment all the time. Because that's what we're trying to do here. So why do we come to church? We don't come here to secure, to secure our boarding passes, as I said. We already have a boarding pass. We already have the ticket. We're already on the flight. The flight is already happening. Everything is going on right now. So instead, we come here to share in the moment, to share with each other in the moment. And that moment is about sharing love, enjoying friendship, learning things, sharing a meal, and helping each other overcome times of trouble or when we need a little bit of help, like Thomas, who went through some surgery. He needs a little bit of help, so that's cool. That's what we do. We help each other. So simplify the message is what Jesus would have said. It all comes down to love, pure and simple. Have a great Sunday and a great week.